I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm trying to make $450. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and I'm here with James Heathers from Cypherskin. James, you've been causing a ruckus online today. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to. <laughs> can, can you explain to those listening at home on the bus wherever they are what you did um i until until two months ago i was an academic as anyone who's listened to this podcast for more than 20 seconds will be very well aware now i'm still a scientist but i'm not an academic and i still get review requests all the time and how i think about work has changed a lot in the last couple of months. I mean, obviously, I knew this was a possibility before I did it, so it wasn't some kind of shock as much as, you know, I have to have a more mercantile mindset to do my job. So I woke up this morning. I've got this review request hanging around, and I'm trying to to do my inbox and make sure I'm clear and ready for the day because I'm, I'm I'm writing a report for the government right now on a project that we're working on, and it requires like attention to detail over time. So I have this review request, and it suddenly occurred to me that basically someone was trying to engage me on a consulting contract, and that was the first thought I had. Not this is a review request, I need to do my academical service, but someone is requesting work. And I thought, well, what do I do now when someone requests work? And the first thing, because I, I, I have thoughts like this all the time now. Someone says they want to have, have some kind of technical relationship. You go, okay, well, we'll have to get a non-disclosure agreement in place so we're both protected if uh, anything, that, uh, anything that we're working on uh, slips out. Because um, a lot of the time we're working on things that can't be released. They can eventually, of course. They go into patents or they, they go as trade secrets in hardware or software or something like that. Eventually, it, it, all, it all makes its way out somewhere. Right? Standard stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm going to have a conversation. I had a wonderful conversation with a, a biomechanist yesterday. Very, very intelligent. And the, the last thing I said before I got off the phone is, okay, well, we want to talk further. Um, I'll get you an NDA and um, we'll, we'll make sure that we're both kosher to keep going. We'll do this. So, if someone says, do you want to do work for money? My first thought is, oh, I should probably send this journal a contract. <laughs> I should send them an employment contract. So... I have a few versions of that kicking around. I'm sure they're um, they're taken from other sources because a lot of this language is very boilerplate. Yeah, we're not. I'm not a lawyer for very obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> so I got my standard employment contract and thought, yeah, this this seems about right. I'll, I'll fix it up a bit and I'll send it. And there was a point. Immediately, which surprised me because obviously I remember being in academia because it was 20 minutes ago historically. But it's amazing how quickly your thinking changes. It was like you're requesting work for money. Okay, let's get a structure in place by which we protect each other. Because, well, you know, we work at a company now. We handle business contracts all the time. And um, I, I, I told everyone I did this. And I was not expecting, I was expecting a half a dozen people to go, oh, that's pretty funny. Not, nice work, Heathers. Champagne, Heathers. Um, it's because I, I, I don't expect, I don't, I don't feel entitled to other people's attention. Uh, it's fun often. Um, it's useful occasionally, but this is, it just went absolutely, it just went absolutely crazy. Um, I explained what my thinking was, um, why I do it. I mean, when, when it comes when it comes down to it, I mean, this has nothing to do with the authors, the editor of the journal, etc., etc., etc. They're acting on behalf of a large multinational corporation that is selling a service. They're selling a service, and that comes with uh, a component place with storage. It comes with an associative prestige. Um, which I mean, investments have the same thing. You take a, a million dollars from a guy living in a swamp and it's a million dollars. You take half a million dollars from the canniest investor in the world, some Warren Buffett character, and that's a vote of confidence in a way that the other money isn't. Yes? So there's an associative component to this. It goes into XYZ Journal, right? 
Um, and of course, they take in money as an article processing charge. This is an open APC journal. They take in money as an article processing charge, and that's how they make money. And I'm not an academic anymore. I don't have to do academic service. I mean, it was, it's, 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 it's hardly like it's an enforced idea to begin with. We've talked plenty of times previously about, uh, things that we've heard from senior academics are basically, well, there's no personal margin for me in reviewing, so I don't do it. Now, in some sense, that's monstrous. And in another sense, it's perfectly logical. Because, I mean, in the mercantile sense, they're right. And in the kind of health of the general field sense, they're an asshole. How many times have you, in your academic career, have you submitted to this particular publisher? Oh, um, three or four, maybe. Okay. Did I pay and any money? I did not. You got the APC waived? Uh, once or twice, yes. And another time, uh, they were bugging me to write something and I just went, I'm not paying. And then I didn't. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, I don't think any journals in the business of, of I, I don't think, I haven't heard any situation <laughs> of a journal taking down a paper because someone didn't pay their bill. The biggest warning they can do is we're going to get stroppy with your university or we're going to, we're going to put a, a black mark that uh, this is a naughty boy or girl and we, we're going to think very carefully about um, uh, about publishing any of your future work. But I, I've never seen a yeah, case of anyone actually maybe. doing that. But Well, look, th- yeah. it's not obviously not something I'd recommend because I mean, no, of course. if it's a condition of publication, I mean, you're in some sense you're signing a contract. So, the, it, it, I mean, protect yourself legally. CYA, rule one, cover your ass. Yes? Tell everyone this all the time in every possible context. So don't do that. Um, but at the same time, look, think about it this way. If any other multinational corporation wrote to me and asked for, I've costed it as somewhere between three to nine hours of my time. If anyone, sure. if you were in oil and gas or construction or information services, or intelligence, or analytics, or software or hardware, or you're a design company, or any, any other business. If someone wrote and said, can I have your time? It would be under the proviso of a contract. Now, I just want the same thing now. Um, I didn't think it's, it's, you've got to understand at the time, this didn't feel people like, Oh, this is a very radical act. Look at you stirring the possum. It's quite, you can't understand. I just needed a tip over into my perspective changing on this. I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm trying to make, your problem is trying to make $450. Yeah. yeah. Your your problem is with the fact that it's a for profit. for-profit publisher, is that right? If this was a non-profit, let's say, um, um, uh, collaborative psychology, where they have, uh, I think I've seen the, f- the figure bandied around that if that uh, if another organization is doing the copy editing and doing the hosting, the DOI minting, that uh, about a thousand bucks, yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking about overlay journals, about a thousand bucks is the cost of administering this stuff. This is a yeah. collaborative psychology cost. This is a PJ approximate cost. Yep. That is they we're, we're, we're basically breaking even. Is your issue with the fact that it is a for-profit publisher? Yes. Or with just this? Okay. Yes. Because I, because I felt bad. Actually, I was, I was doing this and uh, two of our former guests both reminded me I had an outstanding review for metapsychology, which I'd done, mm. I'd done most of, and I immediately completed this morning for nothing. It didn't even occur to me to, to, to ask. That service, that's a journal that they started that, that it is in the right kind of, you know, it's in a completely different headspace. But th- mm. this, is, this is someone else's business product. Yes. At yeah. the end of the yeah. year, when they say we're a successful journal group, they will say we have this many journals that published this many articles. It is a core component of their business model that they do because they want to make money. Now, they will tell you that it's because they're supporting science, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if that was the case, I sincerely doubt that 
the amount of money involved would be the way that it is. I mean, generally, people who are sincere about that would not have the margins that they do. It is, they have a ridiculous top line compared to what they actually spent getting this stuff out. And if they were sincerely interested, if they were sincerely interested in that, if that was the focus, they'd do it differently. They wouldn't have the overheads that they had. They would have started, they would have founded and maintained a different organization if that was the central focus. And we know that because that's what everyone else who say that sincerely is doing. And it's not even necessarily an access to money thing. Um, it's, it's simply a by his deed shall ye know him thing. <laughs> well, the problem is they don't have any competitors, yeah? Because the, 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 the product they're selling isn't special. We both know that anyone, anyone, but uh, creating a LaTeX document or creating a, a copy-edited PDF is, is not beyond the reach of, of an alleged scientist. If you can use MATLAB, if you can use ARM, you, you can put these things together. So it really all comes down to the fact that you're buying the prestige. And prestige doesn't really happen overnight. Or maybe the the only case I can think of is eLife. That I think is the only publisher which essentially set up shop overnight and had that instant prestige only because of the names that it was associated with. But generally, these publishers know that competitors can't come up and uh, and come up with a new a new publisher or a new journal because the product itself mm. is is no different. It's it, and yeah, it, it's it's yeah. infuriating. And, and the, the 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 problem the problem is. When you take that and you take all these things and their products, they're then uh, the people who run sort of research education frameworks and shit like that within individual countries, they agree to value the product by saying this counts as research within how evaluation is done. By saying that. Mm. And when you say that and people agree with you, then you have it. That's kind of this. That's kind of the centre of it. It's not just an aggregation of information in the same place. It's an aggregation of information in a place where the commercial organisation has a relationship with uh, higher education and funding bodies that say this counts. This mm. counts in this context. So if you start a journal and it ends up being rated A tier by government, whoever, then it has. The prestigious. Hmm. Um, the way that you get the, the more sort of ineffable version of that happening over the time is you continually publish good things. But that takes a very long time. There is a tremendous drag factor at work for uh, how long it takes to build a history, a narrative behind all this shit. Hmm. And... Uh, I had no idea everyone would get so excited about it, Dan. I thought I thought it would be interesting. I think there's a non-zero chance that they'll pay me. They just uh, asked for the work. I have heard many cases of of publishers going back, going, "Hey, we can't pay you, but we can uh, we can send you three hundred bucks worth of textbooks, three hundred bucks worth of books." I have seen that a number of times. Um, I because don't want. Okay. I don't want three hundred dollars for the books. I don't want. I don't want the, the books to be valued in that way in the first place. I mean, they don't pay the authors. Prop. Swear to God, Dan, authors would make any given academic textbook. Yeah. Mm. If you sent the authors fifteen dollars in the mail in the form of a personal check, and you nick the book off the internet, it'd make a lot more money. Yeah, for sure. So That's do, why I like. So do that. Yeah, no. But the thing is, like, <laughs> these, publishers, <laughs> these publishers already have a system. I, I reviewed, I peer reviewed. This is very refreshing. I got an email going, I'd like you to peer review this thing. I'm like, okay, this is pretty standard. This is a book. Um, so we are going to pay you for this. Mm. I'm like, that's interesting. That's never happened to me before. Um, uh, except in this case, they paid me with, I think it was about 300 bucks worth of books, which is a mixture of textbooks and sort of like pop sciencey stuff. And, and it was great. It obviously wasn't cash in hand. Um, but uh, to be able to actually do do you know apply my expertise and get compensated for it was mm-hmm. was really refreshing. So publishers have this idea already, but they haven't actually transferred it across to journals. But some uh, is an interesting thesis, point. Thesis as well. It's quite yeah. common. To, it's quite common to be yeah, uh, paid very, to, to review a thesis. 
Yeah, I just reviewed one two weeks ago, and that, I'm getting paid for it. There you go. Okay, so it's a matter of it. So is it is it a matter of length? A book is longer. A thesis is longer than a paper. Oh, I, I don't think that's it. I, I really don't think it's it. I, I think it just happens to be well, you a have a lot of you have a lot of terrible thoughts. I mean, a lot of theses are just a bunch of pa- a bunch of papers with a staple on the top left corner to begin with. Exactly. Look, I saw an interesting. Someone raised an interesting point. Let's say, <laughs> let's say, um, all of a sudden, publishers turn around and go, "Okay, cool. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna pay you, but in order to maintain the um, the value that we give to our readers." <laughs> We have to, we have to, yeah, we have to uh, increase the APCs accordingly. Mm-hmm. So, so paper is going to be more more out of the reach of people because yeah. it's more expensive. Okay, so there's um, more, so there's more market pressure to start new journals, and everyone gets sick of the idea of bullshit prestige. Everyone always gets stuck on like, what are the proximal and distal causes when it comes to like, well, let's predict what's going to happen next. This is what they're going to do. Then what are you going to do? Everyone always lets the hypothetical future fuck up the present when it comes to changing something about this. Always. There's always a reason. There's always some market pressure that's going to move. Yeah? It's I don't, it's, think, I don't regardless, agree. You, sorry, you don't- you, what, what about that don't you agree with? I don't agree. If it was a case of we, if, if there was market pressure and people could actually put out a better product, it would have happened already. Now, if I'm saying if there's more, if there's more, if you, if like say every APC is now five grand or whatever the, 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 the fuck, it's like a nature inverted nipples charges now for whatever the fuck that one is, the really expensive one, right? Nature communications, yeah. I can't remember which one it is. Um, there's, I mean, there's got nature everything now. Nature, nature beeswax, nature fuchsia paint. I, I've no idea. Um, if, if this starts to happen and they're increasingly untenable, the pressures will change, Dan. It's like that idea will have to die. It will have to die reasonably soon. Community journals will have to be set up because the market can't support it. There's going to have to be changes and transitions. It's you. You can't throw your hands up and say, "Well, like, what's going? What's it's 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 going to stop in the meantime?" But at the same time, you can't start a mass movement when everyone is already within the space that they have to be in. I'm very very annoyed with. The whole concept of like anyone who starts a sentence with, if only everyone would, if I hear those words in order and you're talking to me instantly behind my eyes, I thought, oh, I'm talking to a dolt. I'm talking to a fucking thicko. Yeah, because that's not reality. You're just saying, oh, if only every single thing was completely different and people didn't behave like people, isn't reality annoying? Yes, it is, but it's the only one we've got. Sorry about that. I mean, you deal with it all day at work anyway, trying to pry shit out of it. I don't know why all of a sudden it's not good enough for you. I Jesus still disagree. Christ. I still disagree with you. I still disagree with you because we've seen over the past 10 years or so um, publishers for their prestige APC or for their prestige open access journals have, have have asked for increasingly high costs. These things have gotten higher over time and people aren't voting with their feet and they're not going, that's not too expensive. They're, they're finding other ways of getting the money together or either that or- Dan, only the, if, the- every, if every paper costs $20,000, what would happen? Okay, every paper, that's a completely different story. Okay, that's it's, not gonna perfect- happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen, right? You, you you don't you don't let me finish an argument anymore. You buy one fancy shirt and all of a sudden you flash jack <laughs> and I can't finish a fucking sentence. What would Go. happen if every paper cost twenty thousand dollars to publish? Preprints overnight and more uh, open OA community journals, more overlay journals, um, like mass editorial resignation, shit like that, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's bring it back down to let's take the order of magnitude off that and bring it down to I think most OA fees are in general somewhere between eight hundred and twenty five hundred dollars. Yes, mm, more more than that, but yeah. But t- normatively, and yeah, okay, okay, yeah. T- t- two, I know two, the three. big okay. fancy journals of uh, yeah. Okay, so presumably there's a point. 
between where it is now and the extensive cost overrun where that's going to happen. Mm. Yeah. Right? But what, five grand? Ten grand? Fifteen grand? This is all, seen- I mean, it's all, it's all totally, it's all totally out of reach within a lot of researchers in developed countries, let alone the rest of the world. Sure. Right? Okay. And then you get all this, you get all this guff about fees and um, waivers and, you, you know, and that's all only ever going to be a partial solution. If you give everyone a waiver, they don't have a business model. It's like, well, we have a business model, but no one else has to follow it. It's obviously not a fucking business model. Um, there's just permanent exceptions to it. So, do you know what the other thing is? I'm going to be selfish for a bit. Okay. I'm bored of it not changing. There's just the inaction. Everything's been said. Everything's been done. It's been tried. It's all tired. It's worn out. The counter arguments are tired. I'm fucking bored of it. It's just all, all, since <laughs> it started this morning and now it's the afternoon and I'm off on a blood pressure raising fucking tirade <laughs> about it. Um, I, I just, I just want $450. They have probably millions and, you know, privately owned company, someone's making lots and lots of money. Now, this is the thing. Here's, here's the thing that I like. They don't have to give it to me. This is this is a commercial arrangement. I'm offering them. Asked me to form a commercial relationship. I have a contract proposal. They can say whatever they want. Whatever they want. Oh. I'm not going to waste anyone's time. I'm not going to waste the editor's time. I'm not going to waste the author's time. I'm going to write to the people who run the thing. Yeah? I'm talking about the hypothetical. I already did this. <laughs> I'm going to... So talk to the people who run the thing and and have the books and say, I want this. Now, that does not if I said if that's considered like radical, then something's fucked. Because it's not well, radical, it's very mildly cheeky and normal commercial reality. I am not trying to be a smartass here. I am deadly serious about this. I want to be paid for my time. I have issued a contract. They can accept it or they can not accept it. If they don't accept it, um, I will watch uh, reruns of The Thick of It and drink beer on the couch. <laughs> we'll have to keep an eye out and update on how they respond. Oh, yeah, look, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, journals are going to keep writing to me. And um, I'm going to keep asking them to pay me. Yeah, because it's not the publisher that's emailing tell you. you what, I tell you what. No, it's not the publisher. It's a representative of the publisher, Dan. Yeah, People are exactly. acting in the capacity as a representative of the publisher. So, your representative. So no one who runs a fucking account somewhere is, or, or someone who's a CEO in an office is personally responsible for all the purchasing decisions being made within the organization. It's like, oh, well, they're, they're completely disconnected from the day-to-day reality of that. Of course they fucking are. It's an enormous company in lots of different countries. Yes, duh. Why the fuck would you tell me something that's so obvious? Don't do that. Um, I just, I just won $450. We'll see, we'll see how you go. That's all. I mean, I don't want to pay the tax on it because self-employment tax <laughs> here is a bitch, but I do want that money. Um, and you know, I tell you, you know what will happen if they pay me? I will do the best, most useful, most extensive, helpful, genuine, concerted peer review you've ever seen in your fucking life. <laughs> They're going to get what they pay for. They're paid for. Yes, You'd exactly. So. Exactly. Because you, you take commercial relationships seriously. Yeah. If, well, they're going to, if, they're going they to, if they're going to value my opinion, I'm going to, and I'm going to do a fantastic job. The only annoying part is it's in the contract. Um, uh, you're, they, they, that's not allowed to be uh, reviewed. Now, obviously, I don't agree with that on a principled level, but it's what they want. And I'm accepting it as a condition that I've written into my contract. 
would I prefer everyone else got to see my really cool review? Yes, I would. But they have asked to form a commercial relationship. This is a commercial company. By definition. So, you know, if they want the rights to it, I mean, it's the same as writing anything else for money. I've written lots of stuff for money. People pay me, but then I don't get to publish it elsewhere. That's the contract. Yeah. And for all the little community journals and people working in nonprofits who send me review requests, I'll probably do them anyway for nothing, and then you can give it away to as many people as you want. But a company has requested my services, and they're not free. It's liberating, isn't it? Did you know that our Everything Hurts patrons can get access to a library of 20 bonus episodes? Well, you do now. We release a bonus episode every month to our $5 a month patrons who also get a lifetime 20% discount on Hurch merchandise. We also have a $1 per month tier, which gives you access to a monthly newsletter, the merch discount, and the occasional bonus episode. If you want to support the show but can't swing the Patreon money, you can share a review or post about the show on social media instead, as we'd love that as well. Now, let's get back to the show. So you sent me a, a really good idea for <laughs> your, that, that grin. That if any people could say, oh, we're, we're recording this, so we're going to post the video so people will see it. Um, you had a really good idea for... <laughs> An episode. Uh, do, do you want to do you want to lay down your, what your idea was? Do you, do you yes. even remember, James? Yes, it's a, it's an it's a it, it's an extension of a of, of being the one it being unpleasant to you. We're doing this is this is going to be a three part exercise. Um, we're offering an amount of hypothetical money, hypothetical money, right, and. We are going to be our own grant agency for a bit. Wow. Don't you, why don't you wow like that? So I have no idea whether or not your ideas are any good. We'll find out. Oh, yeah, you're goddamn right. We'll find out. So how many ideas you got for me, Dan? I got three ideas. That's and you're the gonna, spirit. You, you were going to choose uh, this stage, stage one, stage oh, two. No, like no, no. Good- I'm not, I'm not going to choose. I am going to interrogate you as to the purpose of your ideas, and they better be fun, and they better be good. They better be scientifically interesting and appropriate. But these, I will interrogate them. I will not choose. The good people of the Hertz community will choose. And then next time we have a spare half episode, I will present you with three of my own genuinely fantastic ideas. Now, here's the best part. Anyone can do these. Take these. If you want to, if you want to run them, like do it. I mean, right to say hi. Yeah. Take it. Take it. And then we'll vote. We'll see what's, uh, we'll, 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 we'll see what's good. We'll see what we think is good. Because I want to see, see, this is the thing. I never get to see the quality of Dan's ideas behind his little veil. I mean, people keep giving him herring dollars to do McFuck, and that's fine. He probably deserves it. Shirts and filthy opinions aside, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Everyone else thinks you're great. So, I mean, we're probably great, but we never get to see the good stuff. Should we jump in? Yeah. Hang on, I gotta put okay. my I gotta put my grant reviewer hat on. Yeah, do it. <laughs> there it is. Okay, uh, grant proposal number one. Uh, this is titled uh, "Redefining Adherence to Blanket Recommendations," and we <laughs> uh, we know a couple of years ago uh, there was a paper which argued that we should redefine statistical significance um which which caused a bit of a stir um and a lot of people took it very seriously i mean it's a serious idea but a lot of people a lot of people took it very seriously because there was about 80 authors on on this paper they put their name to this idea that we should redefine statistical significance to 0.005 instead of 0.05 
And uh, I think this was an interesting um, exercise in um, a lot of people get together and actually put together these recommendations and depending on the journal they're published in, they're taken very seriously. So, I'm very interested in p- if people actually followed their own recommendations. Someone and already did been- this. No. Did they? Yes. Someone actually tracked this down and did this? Yep. Okay. Wow. That idea is gone then. <laughs> Sunk. I've, 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 I've been sunk. Did they really do this? You've been scooped. I've been scooped. <laughs> With an idea you haven't even done yet. Oh, gee. Oh, well, my God. How, what a, what a, how did you miss this? You tit. I, I did not see whether I, – I saw people bend around this idea, but I didn't actually see that someone went through and did this because my, my idea would oh, be to actually check. Who, who was it? Oh, I'm certain. I'm certain. Oh man, who was it? Oh, we'll have to. We'll have to. We'll have to look it up. Wow, that idea is that idea is already in the bin. Um, There we go. It was that good that someone. I'm certain someone did this. Um, yeah, because um, Ianita said that lot picked it up for a while. Um, there was at least one study where they looked to see if things were better supported, if they. If they met this, if they met the the reduced p-value threshold, okay. Um, and there was an initial commentary on it, but I'm pretty sure someone rode around to try and figure out. Um, I rode around to try and figure out whether or not people were uh, people were doing it themselves. It was like you, you know, you'd uh. You, you you made this commitment like did you do it and I can't remember what happened to that um oh, man. I think we'll it, to- I think it might have been uh, I think they annoyed a bunch of people when they did this um someone someone can find this but anyway I'm about 98 percent sure that someone had a go at this. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because because what what I would do is I would actually check um, registrations that would happen after the date. Publication lag time is huge. Um, so, mm, to, but there's to, not to, as many uh, registrations as there are papers, are there, Daniel? Of course, but assuming I would look, yeah, yeah, but I, I would, I would look at for, for all these people um, who were doing hypothesis-driven research. Um, I would actually look at the registrations that would occur after they propose this, and those things you could say definitely, okay, this happened after the the date they proposed it. I think this comes back to this idea that I am now very hesitant to make recommendations like this. Um, for, for, for that very fact, in that if I make it, I have to actually do it. I remember that we we put together this paper for HRV reporting recommendations. It's first the first iteration was actually HRV how to actually do these studies. But then when we were talking about this, we actually figured out, hang on a minute, like there, there's no one size fits all approach, and um, you can't really tell someone how to do their research because problems are different. But you, you can actually tell someone how to report their research. Uh, and because I couldn't actually say this is how you should do your research, because I would, there's there's no way in the future I can anticipate how I do my work. Um, that's why I think these re- these recommendation things, recommendations papers can be a little bit dangerous because they kind of they they. I mean, if you believe in it, cool, do it. But if not, then yeah, you can uh, look a little bit silly. And uh, I'll be curious to see. I mean, wh- why would you get angry that someone pointed out that you didn't do what you said? I don't understand. Um, because you're trying to get away with not doing it. Yeah, exactly. So, so you, but, but you'd get, you, of course, you're going to get angry at them. But like, what's your defense? Oh, you know, of course, you're going to get pissed, but you can't say you, sh- you shouldn't have done that. Well, yeah, you you got busted. You got busted. Well, you got busted. I mean, you didn't do what you said you were going to in a public statement that is designed to provoke accountability. <laughs> no. So you know, go fuck yourself. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna we're gonna knock that one out because uh, apparently it's already been done. So let's go, let's go to my my second one. Okay, so <laughs> this is the idea of what are the effects of high. This, this is this is very um uh, uh, very topical actually. What are the effects of high compensation on the assessment panels of the quality of academic hires? Okay, so this idea, Ooh. a lot of the mess. Okay, you have to unpack okay. that one. Okay, so a lot of the mess we found ourselves in when it comes to prestige is, and when it comes to, to, to rankings, university rankings, journal rankings, impact factors, is the fact that people don't have enough time. Yeah. In an ideal world, when you were assessing a candidate, looking at their track record, you would go, here are 10 of their papers. 
have a close look at their papers to see what they are like as a researcher and whether they're a good fit for the department. But people don't have time. So, instead of doing that, they will look at the university they graduated from. Uh, they will use all the heuristics, the university they graduated from, their supervisor, uh, and the journals they publish in the impact factor to go, oh, this person will be good. Um, but what I would propose is, okay, what if we actually pay people um, to spend a lot of time on making these assessments? I don't know what that's going to be. Maybe maybe it's a, 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 f- a full day per person or two days or three days per person to go through all their work. Um, but what you can do is um, treatment as usual, so to speak, is the typical let's just assess them as normal, look at their impact factors, maybe read a paper or two, and then randomize other people um, to actually get paid um, a fair bit of money to do these assessments. And then longitudinally, in the future, you can actually look and compare those two groups of people for how these um, how, how these candidates actually performed in the future. If you actually give people the time to, to, to go through these assessments, um, are they going to make better quality decisions? And of course, you could extend this potentially to to grant applications as well. But I was thinking more in terms of academic hires. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you, you could you could essentially randomize this. It wouldn't be unethical not to pay people because they're not getting paid anyway, typically. And um, this, I, I think, can solve a lot of issues when it comes to the reliance of these metrics because the reliance of these metrics comes back to time. People don't have time, so they rely on these metrics. So now we're going to solve that by actually paying them. Objections, James. Mm, who do we pay to do this review? These are the people who are already doing the, who are already on the assessment panels for, no, for assessing no, candidates. No, 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 But then it's uh, the problem with that is that look, you're trying to establish whether or not this can make a difference. I think mm-hmm. you should. I think that you should subcontract uh, people who are very, very capable at reviewing uh, research from a general methodological standpoint and those same people who are inarguably very good at that task should provide these assessments of the papers in terms of their understanding of the heuristic quality. People with a broad background uh, from different areas who congregate to do lots and lots and lots of really, really stringent review. Okay. To see what happens with the quality. Because, look, you want to establish whether or not it's possible. If you have some team of total head kickers um, who come in and do that and then it makes no difference whatsoever to the hiring process, then it probably doesn't make a difference. But if you're, if that itself is being randomized by whichever schlub turns up to whatever fucking hiring committee they're supposed to be paying attention to, then it's a different time. It's easier to pay people to do a lot of work than a little amount of work. Yeah. Okay. And then um, you could sort of standardize the actual assessments because if, say, it's a group of 10 people, for yeah. instance. Um, obviously, I mean, you are now like adding a experimental element to like how people do their jobs. The hiring committee may or may not invest any emotional energy in paying attention to these recommendations, but- um, I wonder if the ethics of paying people to be potentially reviewed out of existence in a job that they really need, potentially. But I mean, that's, but, already, but that's, already, happening, that's already happening, isn't it? Um, I'm just thinking it throughout loud, and I've never heard this idea before. These aren't canned responses. If we'd faked this, it would be much easier for me to say something really intelligent straight away. <laughs> um, you now spend all my emotional energy by wearing that shirt. Um, <laughs> The the center of the idea has some possibilities here. I wonder what the report would consist of. Um, well, it depends on what the what the unit what the the department wants. So, say we well, we want a candidate. Be, yeah, I mean, it depends on what they want. Um, but presumably it would be difficult to overlook something like this person is a superb researcher um, who's deployed a, a, a lot of really excellent uh, methodologies, sophisticated experimental design and appropriate controls to answer very difficult questions versus this person should be only given uh, research tools with Fisher-Price written on the side and should probably be in a fucking sandpit rather than wasting the government's money producing any more of this ass fluff. So but I think both of those would be those. Well, 
If if you were doing going for a position like know, that, and I you- don't I don't know about it. There's all sorts of normative issues come up with the, the whether or not that's fair. I mean, I think it would be interesting. Um, would it pass? Would it pass an IRB? I think that's more, that's a more important question. I, I think it would, but maybe I don't know. Is the answer? Uh, certainly, this is much more intriguing as a structural factor in determining how the academic marketplace is set up. So, okay, I accept the fact that this is an idea. This has definitely occurred. Um, you have quite a lot of money to be able to do this. I mean, presumably there's people who'd be able to do this for, um, you know, I don't know how much money you'd have to spend. Um, I think potentially, I mean, this would run for quite a long time because there aren't hiring committees every day, all of a different institution. So actual mechanics of this, um, it would have to go for quite a while. I suppose your primary costs would be staffing and subcontracting costs, Um, which mean essentially you're just spending all of this on wages. So there's not a lot of Mm. persistent value there. It's beyond the research. So Jesus, you better do them. Yeah, you better do a good job. Okay, <laughs> you haven't embarrassed yourself. I still love. I still love you. It's okay. Good. So I've got one out of two. Not, not very well. So far. Um, all right. Why don't you hit me with the third one? Okay. So this I'll third one. I'll put my one, grand reviewer hat back on. It was going to fall. Yeah, do it. It's actually an upturned beaker that I'm using as a water glass, and I don't know why it's my grand reviewer hat, but it looks ridiculous. So I'm into it. Okay. So the the final one is a. Pre-flight paper submission tool. So this is a tool that you would use. Um, think of it like <laughs> give me weird looks here. Think of it like Grim or StatCheck on steroids, but it does a lot of cool stuff. All the stuff that you wish that you could do, it automates it. Okay. So you put your PDF in there. It runs StatCheck. It looks for consistencies in how you're reporting your tests. It looks for weirdness um, when it comes to, to, to Grim tests. Um, but it does a bunch of other cool stuff as well. It uh, goes in and it goes through the reference lists that you've done and then extracts the uh, email addresses from the corresponding authors of those papers. One thing we're desperate to do is get feedback on our work. Yeah. One thing we've spoken about is how do you get feedback on your preprint? And our conclusion is you ask someone. Yeah. And a good candidate to, to ask is someone that you've cited. Have I done a good job in interpreting your thing? It takes a long time to go through and actually get the email addresses of people to, to, to contact them. But if this tool goes through, all these papers are linked to PubMed. And within PubMed, you can actually extract the data for the corresponding email address. The wheels turn, things things go, brrr, and then boom, out comes a corresponding email address for all the authors there. So that's one tool in order to get feedback. Um, the other thing that it does is it checks for dead links. Yeah, I've done this before. I've submitted a paper. And I forgot to turn off a private OSF page. Yeah. A lot of people have done that. I've done it twice. Yeah. It's a super common mistake. Yeah. Um, or it's just, or it's just a dead, a dead link. Um, the, the other thing that, um, that it can, it could include is an acronym warning. Yeah. I came across a study a few days ago, which found there's, um, there's, it looked at a corpus of 24 million papers and there's like 10 million acronyms that have been done. And uh, about eighty percent of them have been have been used less than ten times. Yeah, so it'll give you a war. <laughs> it'll give you it'll give you a warning. Um, you have an acronym in your title, and it's not um, it's not in the top ten percent of acronyms. You should reconsider. So the idea with this tool is what are what are things that we can do that we can easily automate and give authors a warning before they actually submit. A final one could be okay. Uh, all right. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. So there are three elements to this idea. And we'll take them in order of increasing utility. Your first idea is terrible because you're taking a paper that's fresh where the data presumably already exists with with some level of immediacy. And then you're saying while the data is already there and available to be checked, we'll use all the tools that are only necessary to use when the data is unavailable. No, I'm talking about inconsistencies in the paper, checking typos. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, you're proposing something that is, like, why the hell is that a better idea than 
using a Jupyter notebook to begin with. You're basically entrenching people don't the. Know how to, people don't know how to. Well, they can go fuck themselves. You're a, a, essentially entrenching the idea that it's not necessary to provide data because you're giving people the cover of things being allegedly checked for mistakes from the first place. That's literally anti-open data. Those things are for historical documents and for typographical errors. You're leaving, you're leaving the entire rest of being able to structure and check open data on the table, and I hate it. Um, okay. The second idea that you just had was the acronym checker. This is fun. This is this is. I mean, I see the need for that, but I think it's trivial. Yes. Now, this last idea of can it actually spider through and contact everyone who exists that's ever been cited ever? That has potential. That I like because okay. you can sort those by the age of paper, the contactability of the person the domain that's used, um, potentially whether or not the citation agrees or disagrees with uh, what was in there in the first place. But citation's in several times. Um, it's very likely that it's more important rather than something that's fly-by-sighted once. Um, the idea that you can get that and put that in a network um, at the point in time where it's easier to machine read the paper and put it into a citation network um, is there's a lot of possibilities there if there's a persistent identifier that goes between papers and auto contacts people. I would not mind reading a daily digest of uh, all the relevant bits of everyone who cited me ever. Cite sort of does this. Ooh, interesting. Cite sort of does that. But, I mean, you're literally finding out at that point in time what your work is doing and if it's important enough. I mean, also, the other thing is you can train that. You have a lot of algorithmic potential there because you just send someone the email and go, is this a good or a relevant citation? Yes, no. You can get continual feedback on whether or not the goddamn system's working by sending emails and then getting answers straight back. The same way that JMS systems use uh, uh, instantaneous responses for yes, no decisions. So It's also a good way to find reviewers. Um it's yeah actually it's um you you probably could i mean that's what people have to do already um a lot of the time i find the fact that i am cited in things that have been sent to me for review when i'm not asking to get paid for it <laughs> but yeah that is a lot of the time how people do it you might as well save the edit of the goddamn time yeah um i wonder if it makes a problem of kind of citation pools of who gets cited over time and what, um, and whether or not positive and negative citations have a very interesting relationship with this. Is someone shit-talking your work or accordingly really pumping you up? Mm. Um, you'd find that's, out- That's essentially what find out doing one that. way or the other. Um, well, it's not contacting people. It's not pulling them into the review yeah. process. It's not managing what they say. I mean, you're, but the other thing is I mean, uh, this is a persistent idea. You're talking about building infrastructure at this point. Hmm. You're not talking about doing a project. You're talking about building infrastructure. This I like. I didn't uh, didn't think about automation. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant about that. But the idea would be to actually get this list and going. Here is the thing. Do you do you want to contact these people? Why are you hesitant about automation? You're already basically a robot. Why are you being so <laughs> rude to your kin? I don't like. I'm just thinking personally. I don't. Really, I don't like the idea of. I like the idea that a human actually emailed me. Going occasionally, I get this. Going, hey Dan, um, I published this paper and I cited your work, and I think this would be interesting. I'm like, cool, this is great. But then, if I had a feeling that that was automated, I'd be like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know. Like, I already we already get alerts that your paper has been cited. Yeah, that already happens. Google Scholar, for instance, we get that thing. Um, but to actually hear from the researcher, um, that is what, interesting. During the review process. No, of course, of course not during. Ah, uh, no, unless it's a preprint. Um, preprints, you get not- notifications, but I don't know. I- I've just, um, oh, don't, don't you feel icky when you're at the end of a automated email when you know it's automated or you, you or do you kind of just know that it, that is the transaction? How, how do you feel about this? Couldn't give a shit. Um, okay. it's better to get an email from a person, far more likely to write back to you, but yeah, exactly. Um, 
you know, if it's a matter of like assess it out of the actual thing that's in the email, you click on a couple of links and they have a persistent, uh, persistent, uh, URLs with, uh, identifiers that are dynamic stuck on the end that record the answers. I mean, you can, you can record answers straight out of an inbox. That's hmm. not a terrible idea, Dan. I think it needs some work. But, okay. Okay. Um, it's not. Uh, I, I. I think. I think there are. Po- I think there's distinct possibilities for its development. Okay. Now, while we've been talking, we were going to do this in parts, but I've actually remembered as we had a conversation about this the other day, and I've actually remembered what my three scientific proposals are for doing this myself. You've jogged my memory through your excellent discourse. I hope you're happy. <laughs> are we are we are we are we talking a two parter here? Um Yeah, I think it we we might I don't think we have enough time to run long on that. And I want people to marinate over your proposals and, and vote on which one they think is best. Okay. Um because that that feels that feels appropriate. I want to give your ideas due consideration. Because, I mean, there is the possibility, Daniel, that I am being unduly critical of something just because you've said it, and we want to avoid that. We want to be fair. Well, the, f- the first one, if it's already been done, <laughs> that's a fair. If that's you've fair got criticism. another one, if you've got another one, I will totally give you a mulligan on that one. And uh, if you've got a fourth idea, well, we'll call now new one. Should have pre-registered that shit. Huh? I know. Uh-huh. I know. No, I, I, I don't have anything on top of my head. That's all right. We could edit it back in if you want. You can pretend you're super clever. We can cut this right out of the audio stream and then you and can go, it, actually, uh, actually, I've got a genius idea that I've just thought of. We can do that. And it's like you can be dis- I, This is why we never- Actually, no, we hardly ever do any editing anymore. So, all of this is staying well, no. in. I'm offering it, you the opp- all- opportunity to be dishonest and you're not taking it recorded honestly. Yeah, take that, Lewis Carroll. Before we wrap up, I, I want to give a shout out to, um, to-, to Christopher Magnuson, friend of the show, friend of the podcast. Christopher Magnuson. Of our psychologist fame. You, 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 I'm sure you would have seen his incredible data visualizations on on what Cohen's D actually means, what 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 P values mean. He's done some incredible stuff. You can actually buy his stuff. You can buy his prints online because they actually look really cool. Um uh, anyway, um oh, he's he has Sayart. I always yeah. like I always like that stuff. Really really good. Like if, if if I ever get sort of a budget to have art in my office I'm going to buy some of his some of his visualizations, but anyway, he has set up. Do you know what uh, we should a, do? We should buy one and give it away. Done, done. Right. We're doing it. Let's 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 do that. Uh, we're, we're gonna we'll do we'll do a, we'll do a comp on on Twitter when when the episode is released. But what um, what Christopher has done, James, are you familiar with Discord? Um the the chat the, channel thing the chat or channel, like the, yeah, the, the state yeah, the of being chat. the state of Dis- being obviously <laughs> well, but, the, but the, i mean discord is like a multi-channel communication platform thingamajig that was originally for uh computer game what, what's the premises yeah yeah okay what um yeah <laughs> no it, it, be, it was originally for, for gamers then it became sort of half famous uh for uh, as as an as an organising platform for, for for white supremacists, but that that's now been stamped out so, sort of to the same degree that other platforms have. Anyway, we we are, we are getting way off track. But um, Christopher has set up a Discord channel for open science, and it's it's huh. it's a really interesting thing. Like think of it like Slack, but public and more fun. Yeah, a lot of people have set up Slack channels for different topics. I know there's early early career researcher Slack, there's mid career PI Slack, and that's great. Um, and, um, but except you have to sort of go through this idea of uh, inviting people. And, um, for me, Slack feels very work. Yeah. It's a place where you communicate about your projects, whereas Discord is like Slack, but it's bit, but it's, it's public and it's fun. And what's interesting is that when you are introducing Slack to your fuddy duddy professor, um, and it's like, oh, like, you know, how, how's all this done? It isn't immediately clear how it all works, but Discord has an amazing onboarding process, which makes it super easy 
to actually get started with how you do stuff. It's got bots. It's a heck of a lot of fun. And he started an open science discord. And as part of that, I, I, I found it today. He's, he's got a channel for Hertz, James. People are discussing Hertz on the, uh, the Get Good Science discord. That's, that's what it's called. Really? And it's got, yeah. And, um, yeah. And Meal is, is, has, has come from the, um, has come from the grave. There's Meal Bot. Yeah. <laughs> and any sort of messages you get from Meal Boss, who's there monitoring they people's pee hack. They turned Paul Meal into a bot. He's a, he's a this bot. Is, and he, he, this is fun. It, can, we, can we say hello to everyone? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're saying hello right now. And, oh, um, so, are yeah, you going to put this on the discords? Wow. I, I abs- I am yeah. Old and, um, and now. Th- there's already been, call- there's already been calls for, for where's, where's James? Where's James on the Get Good Science Discord and for, for, for commentary on the, um, on the old the old Hearst channel, they've also got, of course, um other other podcasts as well. Uh, we have uh, Black Goat, Causal Inference, and Reproducibility. Uh, some of the other podcasts that uh, people are discussing there. Um, yeah, and I've literally got a message from from Christopher going. Um, I, I said we're going to be doing giving a shout out, and he's like, "Yes, tell them tell them we're not scary." So yeah, it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. They're not Check- scary. Why would they be scary? I, I don't know. Why would pe- people are- assume that? What is this man trying to tell us? Now I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think pe- some people associate Discord with being sort of like a, like a game, like a, like a gamer type platform. But I, I why, think they're sort of why changing. Why would that doing- be scary? People. Oh, I, don't, I don't know. People who like the Counter Strikes and yeah, fucking, they're not scary at all. Well, it's fairly sort of nebbish chaps that have a. You know, funny things that they say. Are they scary? Are people who play computer games scary? Now I grew up thinking bikers were scary. <laughs> I, mean, no, I, don't, like, I don't know. Int- I don't know how these things maybe, maybe it's a culture thing. I know there's a lot of kind of like contained discourse within computer game bullshit. Maybe if you encounter that from the outside, it's kind of, Ugh, I don't know any of these words. But, you know, people say that talking to me and I'm just foreign. Yeah, so check check out this Discord. Uh, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. People people are talking about um, it's it's generally an open science one, but people are talking about um, um, uh, stats, general R stuff, stuff around GitHub, stuff around Markdown, LaTeX, Python, preprints, OSF, licensing, workflow, just cool Good stuff. Lord, and out um, of everything, is this is yeah, it popular? And this is, yeah. So right now there oh, wow. is. Let me just check how many how many members. There are so we've got um, like 120 people have signed up, and there's about there's about 16 people who are online right now. And you can also have chat rooms, yeah. So you can sort really? of do a little breakout thing where you can go, "Hey, let, 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 let's um, talk audio," and it's very easy to hook up your mic, talk audio, or you can talk video if you want. And uh, people have set it up as like study sort of study rooms. So you and your mates. Or a whole a whole class, a whole psychology class, for instance, might have a Discord. Apparently, all the cool lecturers run Discords instead of Slacks, James. This is what I've learnt. And then here, you can actually have study rooms, yeah. And then while you're doing your thing, um, you can um, uh, you can sort of go and have and have have chats. And it's everyone's mic is on, like a real room, yeah. So you're sitting around and having a chat. It's very interesting, and they seem to be doing really well, and it's a lot of fun. You've it got sounds, your. I'm looking yeah, at I, I, yeah. I, it feels like it's just a matter of time before someone starts a journal club. Well, that it's happening. People, people in certain yeah. fields are doing journal clubs um, where you every week. I mean, people are discussing papers on these on these. Uh, they're called servers on these Discord servers, and then once a week, once a month, they're actually getting together via video, via audio, and doing the actual journal clubs, which is cool. I think this is a great idea because, as we've spoken about, a lot of people um, are fairly isolated in their departments, have no one to talk about their projects. But if you are part of a uh, a Discord channel, then you could have your own journal club, and it's really easy to set up. Huh? What fun! It's a lot of fun. So get 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 amongst it, Heather's. I, I reckon uh, I reckon you'll you'll enjoy it. All right. Doesn't take itself too seriously. It's um easy to use. Yeah, okay. Um, sounds like a laugh. Cool. So, yeah, everyone, listeners, check it out. Uh, check out that. Uh, I'll post a link, an invite link, so you can all uh, start uh, start chatting away there. But, uh, yeah, thanks thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, 
will uh, will set, will set up votes for my grant funding ideas, and then probably next episode um, or maybe the one after that, we're going to hear James's ideas, and we're going to vote for who gets the funding. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the Hertz Discord. Yeah. Amazed we have one. Wow. Welcome to the future. <laughs>